Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Uncomposed, the uh, show on the Friends in Your Head Network where a bunch of people who compose music for films talk about composing music for films. Crazy. Anyway, myself as always, Tig Christie. I'm here with Alex Ruger, hey. Kyle Newmaster, hey. and Gordy Hap. What's up? Gordy, you haven't been on the show yet, but you're like, you were a founding member of it even though you weren't on the first episode. That's right. That yeah. means that you get like one quarter share of all of our earnings, <laughs> uh, which so far means like some, drank like, it, like a little yeah, I think so. platter of little cheese cubes and some salami. I've eaten a quarter of it already, so I think we're good. You're welcome. Who says the internet doesn't pay? <laughs> anyway, so we're going to just kind of continue what we were what we started in the last episode. We were talking about basically like film scoring 101. I guess this is film scoring 102. Or Teague asks the guys who know what they're talking about dumb questions about film scoring that he's always wondered about. Let me ask you this. We were talking about it beforehand, uh, trying to figure out what, we, what we'd do for an episode. And one of the questions I had was, what gives these instruments their personality? Because, you know, you use a French horn when you want to, you know, give a regal feeling here or there. Or bells can be magical or kind of creepy. And all of these things have their own little identity. And they've kind of gotten stratified into scores. And there's this sort of use for them that is the usual use. Not to say you can't ever break those rules. But when, when did we end up with these usual uses for these things anyway? Like, can't, couldn't we just right now swap out every instrument chart in the Star Wars fanfare with a different instrument, same arrangement, just change the name of the instrument on the charts and have it like lead with a big blast of the oboes and then, you know, swap <laughs> you, you it around. Hear, you you could. Uh, <laughs> it's not recommended, but yeah. So why, so wh- wh- where does this shit come from? I mean, do you guys have any insight into that? That'd be a great question for an ethnomusicologist. <laughs> it would, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I, yeah. It's worth pointing out that no one here is actually like a behavioral neuropsychologist. Yeah. So that's <laughs> worth mentioning. But, I, well, Chloe, I, well, Chloe is. <laughs> I tell you, I... I definitely don't want to pull out my music history chaps, uh, especially based on my grades in music history. But, uh, but you know, I think it, uh, pretty much film scoring in the traditional sense, I'm sure you guys can take this as a platform. I think to, I know where you're going to, with yeah, this. I mean, basically, I it, everything comes from classical orchestral music in the traditional scoring. Of course, that only covers probably maybe 40 percent. Mm-hmm. of the scores yeah. at this point it used to be probably a higher percentage now sure popular music certainly comes in more but as far as the orchestra goes i think the way we treat the trombones and the french horns and the oboes and the flutes and all that film scoring just kind of co-opted classical music yeah for whatever reason it's the dramatic sound which it is, is it's, someone figured that shit out at some point yeah right and i think it's honestly because it's a timeless sound i mean it's it's been an ensemble that's evolved for hundreds of years mm-hmm. um, I mean fads come and go you know new sounds come and go but this is something that has been honed in for mm-hmm. hundreds of years so I think people relate to it so easily because it is so grounded right um, we're just stuck with it yeah we're, we're basically stuck <laughs> with it and, and I agree with Kyle I mean I, I even would take it a step further and say I mean it, specifically opera is, oh, yeah, is a lot yeah. where this comes from in particular that our associations with instruments because I mean, if you think about it, I mean, opera or film scoring rather is is basically a lot like like it's, opera. It's I contemporary mean, opera. Basically. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, what people would do in in, in this time period is they go see a show, and this would be the music that accompanied the show, and that that essentially was opera. And there was light motif, which was instruments being related to specific characters, and I, and I think that those instruments were are associated with certain characters based on their range, uh, their volume. Sure. Uh, so now camber. we get to the point where it's like literally yeah. like that guy is just oboes. Just right. look at him. Doesn't yeah. he seem oboeish? Yeah. I mean, right. the most obvious one, the fat guy is the tuba. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's a big voice of sound. And yeah. It just makes sense. Wah. 
<laughs> so it really is kind of a conditioning that we've we've come, yeah. you know become used to hearing these specific sounds and associating it with a certain thing. And I, I think it does really relate back to you know early opera. I wonder right. if it's a if it's a, like a timbre thing where I think it is because Absolutely. you get to the point where you you think that piccolos are small. I mean, they are literally mm-hmm. small. But you, you, when you hear the piccolo sound, you think small thing. And when you hear tuba, you think big thing. Right. And I wonder like, if that's just how wide that sound ends up hitting you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Tickle is the loudest instrument in the orchestra, though. It really is, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's, it's, it's in a frequency area all to yeah. itself? Yeah, if it's cranking it, yep. at its high frequency. It'll cut it, through it, anything. Yeah, and your garage door will open and it's nuts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. I'll take that question and put it to you guys as composers instead. Mm-hmm. What is there a thing you find, if you can imagine, like, here's your orchestra pit in the traditional layout... And often you'll tweak it for the purposes of whatever your project is. Like, yeah, I'm going to need more horns. And honestly, I don't need, I literally need none of these woodwinds. I, I'm not using any of them right now. And you, yeah. you alter the pit that way, right? Sure, sure. Is there a thing you find yourself altering in the orchestra more often than others? Like, yeah, if I could rearrange just the default orchestra thing for, for from now forward, not for stuff that's already been written, but for <laughs> now forward, we really don't do anything with these guys that we need 12 of them anymore. Is there <laughs> right. anything or... Is that not the case at all? I think we just have, need more horns. Since yeah, you said that. Yeah, yeah. really. That's, that's well. That would be the first thing I'd say that <laughs> just, I typically just, alter is I add, add the Hans Zimmer double. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's not that uh, you know new of a thing. I mean, there's certainly you know I mean Stravinsky was writing for twelve horns yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. in the Rite of Spring, etc. But I mean, I think yeah, the the, the first thing I do is I want to have more French horns because I think unison large horn ensemble is, is has a pretty specific sound I like. Right. Um, I tend to favor low brass just because I play low brass and I'd like to have more trombones than the standard orchestra. Wait, what do you play? He just trombone. He just wants oh. all his friends to have gigs. That's all. Basically, yeah, I'm just trying to hook yeah. my bodies up. I played uh, trombone in junior high school. Oh, you and I are like brothers. Yeah, we are. He can still play it. <laughs> I forgot how to spell embouchure. <laughs> Don't test me on that. Actually, that'd be bad. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, I, I like to typically beef up the brass section. Um, usually what happens is if you're on a, on a budget or you're trying to keep your orchestra to a certain, you know, number, the first thing that goes is probably strings get cut back a little bit because there are so many of them already. I mean, if you have 30 Mm -hmm. violins, is 28 going to sound that much different? I mean, eventually you do start to notice, you know, a difference, Mm -hmm. but you know, when you never have two bases, you you need either one or three, one or three (laughs) odd numbers of bases. Yeah. Actually odd numbers of all strings. I I kind Mm -hmm. of, yeah. Cause wait, is that, are you, are you basing that on an observation or is that a thing? When you have one, it's just like, there's, there's no problems. Right. It sounds like a solo getting the chorus in because you know you right. know how they, oh, they aren't exact pitch when you have two you just hear that they're both off you're low phasing. enough to where it mm-hmm. really fucks with things yeah so. you hear phasing yeah. and that's that's where the real issue is i mean any two instruments playing together in a unison in particular it's if there's any intonation discrepancies at all it's going to phase right you get a third person in there and you chorusing and that's a whole different effect <clears> right. which is much more lovely and that's like right. and that's something i mean we maybe we talk about it later if you want but it, like we deal with a lot of a lot of our scores, just because you can't always hire the London Symphony or you know the LA Phil. Right. Uh, Say what? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you just could do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like U-Haul, right? You just sure. you know roll on over, yeah. right. <laughs> slap down your twenty four ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we. Uh, I mean, I, I I run into that. You guys run into that all the time. Like you know, I've got a budget for 
15 people what do i yeah. want do i need unfortunately you know? not yet i haven't run into that at all <laughs> well when i say budget i mean my credit card by the way right, <laughs> right exactly i would imagine in that situation strategically your next move bear in mind and this is, if this is your first episode of uncomposed it's worth mentioning that everyone who's not this voice does this this voice doesn't i have no idea what i'm talking about i just ask questions <laughs> no and no and no, I love no. Music. no, no. hold on hold on your your score to fighting in plain sight was awesome and i'm dead serious it you was have a musical awesome. online too right I do. I do. And I, I, know I love music. Sad Max. And I'm a, yeah. I'm currently producing and yes, forum, I'm it's it's me who's taking forever and I'm going to finish finish it up soon. But uh yeah, his album is coming out and it's awesome. So yes. That's awesome. There's some very, badass orchestra shit from Mr. Alex Rigger in that score. Yeah, it's, in a, that it's, album. A, it's a great album. I really like it. And uh you guys will too. But Thank yeah, you. Teague Teague is not stupid as he, as he would have you know <laughs> you know i am <laughs> i am a semi-informed amateur I, I i i read books on imaging when i poop but yeah. that's aside aside from that my professional <laughs> life has nothing to do with music <laughs> my professional poops do anyway what i was gonna say what i was gonna say is i would i would assume if you have you know i, I can afford 15 players for two days who am i going to use how am i going to use them your your thought there would devolve into strategy where it's like what you know, no offense to the particular instrument of any of any particular player, but which players can I plausibly replace with a MIDI? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I need you know I really need a lead violin who's a real player in front of a microphone. But I could probably get away with faking out these guys. And I'm I'm assuming that's where you would go with <clears throat> you have 15 players to simulate an orchestra. Well, yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I I think I mean you can fake the low strings to a certain degree, mm-hmm. sort of, mm-hmm. but. It's because the high violins, you can tell that they're fake a lot of times with how the legato moves and stuff. And usually the higher parts are moving faster, usually, than the lower parts. I think the know. human ear is drawn to the top voice yeah, that of too. Um, anyway. So, so if you, you had to cut... It it's voice leading in the orchestra. It is in a sense. If you had to cut, you could probably cut the top. But yet, I still like to have the full group playing together, all live, tuning together, and stuff like that. It does <laughs> yeah. sound smaller, though at a certain point it's sometimes you know yeah the the, i would say the first thing that i would not want to fake is is brass yeah just because brass libraries are really bad even the best ones are bad yeah and uh when libraries are generally passable ish if we had 15 players and we had kind of the the standard number of a big we we want the sound of a big orchestra and we can only afford 15 i'd go for like wait real quick what's a standard orchestra number like it's in the 80s isn't it 80, 80 to 100 80 something? to 100 yeah a, 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 probably a standard orchestra orchestra if you go to orchestra halls probably around that 100 70 standard film session might be right. 55 60 right yeah, yeah. That's, that's maybe what but if we yeah. have to get the sound of the 50 60 but, with 15 people yeah i mean right. since we're all star wars guys we're trying let's just say we're, we're trying, trying to sound to like that's like 100 um yeah, yeah. Right. yeah so what what i would do is i would i would get quite a few brass i'd get enough mm-hmm. and then i'd hire a few string players to mm-hmm. to flesh out the right yeah I know. and maybe yeah. a wind or two depends but actually in fact you I did can that give you a good example for the indiana jones and the staff of king score I um, I had a small drop. budget, yeah, yeah, but but it's very specific no, it's, because it is this John Williams sound, and I was trying to get the sound of a hundred piece orchestra, but I had a budget for twenty players. So, how many days did you have? Um, I had uh, I had six hours. Go on. Um, so <laughs> what I did actually no, I had more than that. I, I had one full day and then a three hour session the next day, but. Um, yeah, right. that's, that's enough. I yeah. feel that's enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what'd you do? Uh, well, I opted to get a full orchestral brass section, uh, 13 brass players. 
And um, that was where the the bulk of the money went was to a day worth of having a full brass section. And then obviously you're not going to get the sound of a full orchestra without, you know, I- implementing it with samples. Uh, so to get the sound of a wind section, I used a lot of samples for oboe and English horn, but I had three woodwinds and then I doubled them. So I had mm-hmm. flute, uh, clarinet and bassoon, and then I would record the second parts mm-hmm. over top of that. And usually the flute player would double piccolo. So then I got the, the, the equivalent of six woodwind players and then all of the double reeds that were the, the oboe and English horn were all sampled mm. because they were in the middle of the voicing and I, I purposely tried not to feature them so that they would just fit into the chords. Right. Uh, and then for the strings, I did everything sampled except for seven violins. And mm. for the purpose that Kyle was talking about earlier, which is I think your ear is really drawn to the the violins when you're listening to particular melodic music because, you know, it's, it's the highest voice and, you know, in a particular phrase, mm-hmm. your, your ear goes right to it. So I want to make sure that sounded as real as possible. And then with the concept that if your ear hears that and, and imagines it is, is real, then your assumption is that everything else is. Right. So huh. everything below that kind of just filled in and made it sound right. fatter, a, but your ear imagined it as being a real. Right. There's a uh, sort of parallel term that we use on the commentary podcast. We've been doing that for five years and we dissect screenwriting. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is sort of screenwriting tropes and, and little like shortcuts and workarounds for screenwriting purposes. Mm-hmm. And that basically boils down to what we ended up with was a glossary of our own personal jargon, some of which we stole from like a Blake Snyder book about screenwriting here or a William Goldman book observation there. But typically it's just our, we talked about something once and came to a conclusion about it and we just kind of took the pithy half a sentence version of it and we use that as a whole idea. Like when we drop that half a sentence, we're talking about a whole idea. Such and as it, and there's your, a parallel- your guys' use of the magic bean? Is that a... That's one of them, yeah. Okay. And Example, magic yeah. bean isn't one of our concepts, but magic bean I think is our terminology. Huh. And what's... What's cute is I'm almost positive it's our terminology. I think Trey came up with that example, and now Ryan Johnson uses it to refer to that concept. Ryan Johnson, who directed Looper, yeah, to refer to that concept, which he hates. So that's fun, <laughs> but whatever. I, I, I mentioned all that to say uh, there's a parallel sort of term like that that we have for a, a similar concept in film, which is we call it the footprint in the snow. Mm-hmm. Gordy was talking about how you, you hear the... The, the sort of in-your-face voices at the top of the range, and your brain just sort of fills in the rest of them and adds plausibility to them, even if mm-hmm. they... If you heard them by themselves, you might go, those sound kind of fakish. Mm-hmm. With the real violins over it, you just accept all of it at one. Right. Uh, and the, we, we call it a footprint in the snow in film when a director or editor, I guess, will... If something is really difficult to pull off, uh, what they'll do is only do it once, but they do it first... And then every other time you see that effect in the future, even if it's kind of crappy, your wow. brain adds the detail you saw the first time mm. to all of them. That's, that's that comes from The Empire Strikes Back, where, and this has since been disproven. This isn't actually true, even though we assumed it was true for years before we revisited it, but it's close to true. Uh, but the idea is that in The Empire Strikes Back, you can ask someone, what's the first thing you see in that hoth adat battle? And people say, I think it was like a long shot of them walking at you or whatever. It's like, nope. It's a macro binocular shot of a big mm-hmm. ass at at foot hitting the snow mm-hmm. and going poof. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. these are little stop mo at at creatures. Like these right. don't send up snow when you do them because you're moving them little bits at a time. It doesn't actually impact the snow and send up a poof. That'd be really hard to fake in stop motion. Yeah. How do we make people think that they're seeing that every time? Well, the first time you see it, 
it's not stop motion. It's just a little, you know, leg removed from the body that just hits the snow and goes, Dunk, and it sends up a little <laughs> right. poof. And then your brain fills in that fills poof for all the little stop mo things. Hmm. So yeah, it sounds maybe. like your thing where the, the if the violin's on top, if the really noticeable instrument is real mm-hmm. and it has that gritty, tangible quality mm-hmm. to it, the rest of your arrangement can be filled in by someone else's brain going yeah, you're, oh yeah you're it's all there and the rest it's like it's like a uh, auditory footprint in the snow i mean i think i think orchestration in, in general is kind of like that i mean you you basically are figuring out what <clears throat> what you want in orchestration for anybody who doesn't know it's uh taking your idea that's just a melody and a harmony and a rhythm and counter melody or whatever and putting it to whatever group you have so in this case the orchestra um my understanding of orchestration is basically the step that exists between John Williams playing George a little piano sketch mm-hmm. and then the orchestra's playing it mm-hmm. where it's like how do we take this little you know his right hand is playing the melody in a way that's recognizable his left hand's playing some counterpoint and harmony flesh that out to 80 instruments mm-hmm. yeah. that's orchestration right very yeah. generally speaking yeah absolutely. okay cool yeah I mean basically as long as my concept isn't wrong <laughs> basically when we're orchestrating we're always thinking about okay what's our point uh, here's the group we have in front of us. Like we said, sometimes you have 15, sometimes you have 100, sometimes you have 40, sometimes you have a totally different style group, whatever. You want to get your point across of whatever your idea is, musically, emotionally, and all that stuff. And you have to think about what is each instrument that you have capable of doing and what is the most important thing that I'm presenting. So if you've got this idea that's your main melody and then you've got something else that you want heard as well, um, but you put the other thing on all the instruments to play really, 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 really loud. And then you put the, and they put the main, main thing. thing on something that can't be heard over that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make any sense. Cause you won't, you'll think the other thing, your secondary thing is the main thing. So right. you got to make sure you present the main thing at, with the right instruments so that that comes across as, okay, that's the, uh, the feature here. That's the melody. Right. Um, right. and so orchestration is all about that. Basically figuring out, uh, you know, what are your ideas and then how to present them so that they're heard and clear. Right. Right. And that, that could actually tie into why we use certain instruments. Oh yeah, definitely. It absolutely does. And yeah, like, like, and the ranges we choose to use them. Yeah. Well, yeah, the ranges are just predefined. And then like, like why are, why is the melody always in the trumpets or the violins? And it's like, well, because they're loud and you can hear them. And, <laughs> and, and then why is the melody never in the English horn? It's like, except in quiet places. And it's right. like, well, okay, it's because it's quiet. And right. yeah, so yeah, it's a funny little, yeah. I mean, orchestration, yeah. not to get extremely technical and you know, complicated is really kind of a study in, in creating dimension. Mm-hmm. like sonic dimension mm-hmm. like a foreground a middle mixing. ground and a background it yeah. is it's, it's essentially mixing yeah. and the, the great know. thing about the orchestra is that it mixes itself if right you, if you write correctly for it which right. is why it's so amazing well if you record yeah. it live yeah, if, you're, if you if you if you i mean well that's the thing a lot of times nowadays people layer multiple layers of different sessions and then you have to create the dimension after because right. you actually recorded them all separately if you have them all right. together in a in a room in a space in the right place then yeah, if it's orchestrated it'll, well, it'll then that. it mixes itself. Right. If yeah. the whole orchestra's in the room together. Right. Yeah, yeah, so you know, cool. Theoretically. Not, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, though. If you, I'm curious, actually. I've never tried this. Uh, if you were to record a full orchestra in the same, let's say, in a big room. Because right? mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're doing overdubbing. Right, you're doing uh, it in a small You're doing room. it in a small room, and you're trying to create that big room. If you had an actual big room like, you know, Sony or, or you know, Warner or Abbey mm-hmm. Road or whatever, and you put everybody where they actually sat mm-hmm. and recorded them like you would Striped. Yeah. Would it sound 
Compare outside of the frequencies all hitting each other in the room right. and creating. Right. Uh, yeah, I would, sounds, you know, my first question would be about how, harmonics there. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that. That would be different. But would it be discernible? Would you be able to? I I mean I do think it is a bit discernible. But I wonder. It, I mean know, I know because, I, know I mean that's would be done us. a lot. Of course, I mean that's done a lot, but, particularly in games because they they do a lot of striping. You know, right. For for various. But usually when they do that, they do it in a smaller in room. A lot of times. Uh, not on the big games. They'll no? they'll do that like where they'll actually oh, set up true. the that's orchestra, and, actually, and a lot of times they'll actually too. stripe. You know, with the whole orchestra in the room, so you'll have you know all 80 people and then you'll while everyone's sitting there you'll just record the strings and then you'll just record the brass real quick define stripe striping is recording one section by itself with no one else playing and then recording the next section so that so it's just literally overdubbing a little section of the orchestra exactly yeah 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 so that you have separation for mixing purposes and actually i was just to back up for a second i was going to make a point uh, a little while ago about how you you recorded the the live uh violins and nothing Mm -hmm. else I am kind of a violist. I'm not yep. very good at it. And to prove the point, um, I tried overdubbing some viola mm-hmm. and some strings, and it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> it totally did not work. And so, yeah, it, it, it pretty much, if you're going to get live instruments, it pretty much has to be the high ones. I, wanna, I think I want to be your lead voice. I yeah, mean, whatever lead the voice lead is, yeah. voice is in More that particular accurately. ensemble. So if you have a string ensemble, I think, unless you're trying to get if if you're going for a more compact sound, then then you want to represent every instrument in the sure. you know, in the ensemble. Sure. You know, it'd be kind of, kind of a fun thing to mention just before I forget. Yeah. Each of us mention a uh, for composers that might happen to hear this or something like younger yeah. composers. I'm sure I'm sure many like, composers will. It's just well, yeah. I'm just saying like sure. Um, you know, I know what, John what, Williams tunes in yeah, every week. Yeah, I'm sure he could. He was just here. Yeah. You didn't see him walking <laughs> He's in. Exactly. He's on his way out. No, but like, what's what's one thing or two things that gave him a high fumph. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real word. I swear to God, it is. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about the German numerical standard semiotics. He didn't believe me that "fump" was a real word. When our we mic testing, he did his one, two, three, four, fives in German. Whatever, move on. Anyway, anyway, one or two. Uh, no, uh, one or two of, I, examples of something you do that's like a trick that makes it sound more real. Like you already mm-hmm. mentioned a couple things you did. Like right. I, I know one that I've done. Uh, when I have like no budget is I always like to hire a flute player, solo mm-hmm. flute, a flute player mm-hmm. to uh, flautist or whatever, <laughs> right? Flute you know, player. you know, to uh, overdub on the MIDI strings, because I feel like that adds the legato mm, right. the emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's mixed, oh, nice, that's a cool like trick. Lower, yeah. um, it actually bring just uh, like we talked about getting rid of winds earlier, but mm-hmm. if you're going all MIDI, I think winds, if you don't have the budget, you got your small bedroom recording session, hiring, uh, a flute player and an oboe player and a clarinet player is probably the best thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I mean, for people that don't know, a very common way of orchestrating is mm-hmm. to have... Uh, it's it's not quite a rule of thumb, but I mean, you might see the flute or the piccolo doubling the violin ones, Absolutely. the clarinet or oboe yeah. or whatever. And in all honesty, when yeah. that's happening, as a listener, you may think you're just hearing just a string ensemble right because the and winds blend themselves in there exactly. so well but yeah. it is an orchestration trick to kind but, of fatten up the string. But when you're doing the when you're doing the uh the midi stuff and you add a flute what it does is it adds that emotion Legato, and the that, in the forward motion of the the live performance yeah to the phrase the human quality you know, the, of it that you can spend literally a day i just did all day today yeah trying to make strings sound like that mm-hmm. and it's it's sometimes can be very annoying well, that's you know? that's fascinating as yeah. a layman like, I, tricks like that yeah. yeah so i was curious if you guys <clears throat> had tricks like that that you gordy got anything uh yeah i mean i add marimba to a lot of my low mm-hmm. lines which is when i'm that's dealing good. with samples. double bass hits 
to, yeah, to double just the attack of, of notes, particularly like in a cello line or something like that. I'll just cool. add, and a very really soft, cool. you know, if you're cool. using samples, it's very soft velocity, just yeah. enough to give it a little articulation because, mm-hmm. um, because the thing that I think calls attention to itself the most in samples is the beginnings of notes. Yep. That, that's transient, what it gives away. Right? Yeah. Isn't the word the transient? Kind of. Yes. Yeah. Eh? yeah. Yeah. I guess. The, yeah. The ictus, I don't know. I don't know music terminology. It's, it's close um, enough. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. That's yeah. me. And, and the transition from one note to the next, right. when, when you hear the next note start coming from a previous note, so that adding something that's soft that you don't really notice it, like a marimba or even a vibraphone. Sometimes if mm-hmm. it's a higher line, I'll do that. Uh, and, and mixing it very low and, and doing it at a very soft velocity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't hear that particular instrument, but it's just enough to hide the... Uh, that little moment of transition. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just kind of hides cool. the imperfection Actually, Teague, of those, the that, that is particularly the, the thing of samples that you've noticed in my... Uh, orchestration of blank walls. The things well, that you bear in mind; those are notes that I gave you, like when it was a work in progress, not like final yeah, candidates. Yeah, but that—that's what you've. I'm protecting is, your own reputation well, from your no, previous when, sentence. No, when you when you <laughs> when you've said like pretty much your only notes on the sound of the orchestra is the beginning of the bow stroke sounded odd and that's pretty much that's the fallback of of samples to clarify for listeners uh, the the, yeah. the the point there is that's i was basically giving him notes where alex would if i had said everything's great the next thing he would have done would have been to go all right let's fix this fix that <laughs> yeah but well, yeah and so it, he's just pointing out and the reason for that without that going down a whole but yeah that's a thing that oh, I, I as someone who knows two percent more than any random person would than my mom does about orchestras <laughs> and what things should sound like. Uh, th- th- I tend to call out the first like one hundredth of a second of yes, a trumpet or a violin usually. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the weakness. That's, that's the, the part. The weakness yeah. is the start of the notes. Right. Mm-hmm. My, I have a lot of, a lot of tricks. Well, for, uh, I was, I was excited about this line of thought because one of your skills particularly is massaging a MIDI performance to sound real. Yeah. Like, Above and beyond, we were talking about that in the last <laughs> right. episode. One yeah. of the things you, you just happen to have gotten really good at is getting a MIDI to sound like an actual performance. Yeah. And that's that's only just born of necessity. I mean, the, these guys can definitely do it better than I can. But yeah, I have a whole lot of tricks. I was actually just talking about them to another composer today um, that it's it's all mostly mixing, actually, because yeah. <clears throat> my problem with, with using samples, and I'm probably going to get a little technical, but the... Um, my biggest problem is do it. Is, Take us there. Well, reverbs I'm really are curious too. <laughs> reverbs are my my biggest downfall. I never mm-hmm. even the best reverbs. I never completely like them because yeah. getting the orchestra's placement to sound natural mm-hmm. is really hard. And so, um, what I do, you guys can steal this. I don't know if you do this, but um, so I you know I submix my violin ones to mm-hmm. just down to the you know an aux track, and then I um, on the track itself. I put a very, very small room reverb mm-hmm. and yeah, and it, and it just adds you know, like that <clears throat> tiny little bit of actually, space. Yeah, I, air. I, I'm really not in general. This is probably too nitpicky, but I'm not really happy with aux reverbs in general. Yeah. Well, what are aux I, reverbs? You know, if you're recording a live orchestra right there, generally most of the mix is going to be the two microphones, right? Yeah. And then you right. got spot mics. Oh, I didn't hear that line. You bring it up, but you want to get the most out of the room. If you're, and, if you're doing MIDI and, and everyone like is perfectly mic'd. About, Everybody's there, but you're you're having to take every single instrument. Sometimes it's like a hundred tracks or mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. and you have to take all those hundred tracks and make it sound like it's in the space that isn't really there. And so what he's talking about is putting the the room sound on those different places. And so when you aux reverb, basically your computer's only so powerful. You can't right. 
put a super high powered reverb on, on every, every single, single person. Instrument. You know, um, it just you just can't the processing would you know would and i don't even know what that would sound like because i've never been able to do it so yeah. it might be weird i'm not really sure but it'd be uh, stupid amounts of phasing probably going maybe on. Yeah. well i yeah. don't know because it would be all within its own space yeah true right i'm not yeah, i'm not really right. sure how that would work but yeah. anyway so what you do is you say okay i want all the strings that would be in the front to have this reverb a little bit and more presence less reverb and i yeah. guess what everyone mm-hmm. who's listening needs to realize is that when they hear an orchestra they're actually Mostly hearing the echo of the of the orchestra, the reverb. I right. Mean, yeah. You're mostly hearing the room. The reason that places like Abbey Road and Sony and Warner are so famous is because those, well, lots of reasons. But the the rooms sound really good. Absolutely. And so, um, if the, I remember, there was an experiment where someone put an or, uh, small orchestra in a anechoic chamber. And it is one of okay. the most annoying, terrible sounding things huh. you've ever heard. That's because, fascinating. Because orchestra is like 90% of what you're hearing is is the, you, you don't hear like the close, you know, if you put up a mic. The dry sound, basically. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The dry, and mm-hmm. the thing is samples, good samples are generally very, very dry because if you right. have built in room tone, then it's going to mess with the reverb that you want to use. Right. And um, so basically everything you get with MIDI off the shelf, so to speak, is going to be a, if you, if you were to recreate the Star Wars theme, in with really high quality samples right now without doing any mixing after the fact you're hearing a hundred people playing right in your face well, yes. uh, some, as some, opposed to a room arrangement of them. some of them do some don't right so some they're all slightly different they're all in. that's a trick too is there, you're using all these different things that you've purchased all that these were recorded libraries. in different they're spaces all different, and, so you're, you're trying to make it all sound like it's one thing right and so uh so with a, the, a unifying reverb can help yeah, it sound so, like so it's in one space what, what alex was talking about is you know bussing you know one reverb in at a closer space and one reverb that sounds a little further away. Right. And I, for me, that always sounds still, I still hear too much of the original sound. Mm-hmm. And well, I know actually, you can tweak what that. I, but what I was talking about is that you actually put the very small reverb saying, yeah, on the track. Which I yeah, think is smart. Right. I hadn't yeah. thought of that, but because, that's why I, yeah, you're I now sending on the small on your reverb to the, Yeah, You're reverbing your reverb. Yes. A lot of times, sometimes I get so, I mean, it can take so so freaking long to, it can take so long to do all this stuff. Sometimes I get to the end and I'm just like, whatever, you know, I gotta, I just bus out, I mix it down as a, a mix that I like and then I just put a oh, master right. reverb into on everything. Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean I I mean like for a certain section or a certain yeah uh, because right. it's like how do I get these strings to sound like they're actually in a room. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough. Um it's, my, yeah. my my two I, I have another trick which is um do you guys ever put limiters on your on your reverbs? I do, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very good way to cause yeah, a lot I th- there's a guy whose mock up I was um and for people that don't know, mock-up is a term used to, you know, say a MIDI recording of an orchestra sometimes. It's like and, orchestra demo. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, I was kind of critiquing his and, and that was a big thing because what a lot of people might not realize is that um, you, you might have experienced it if you think about it in like, let's say you're at a party and everyone gets really loud mm-hmm. and after a while the room will start to it's reached its its max volume limit like right. it, the the room itself cannot reverberate anymore and um when you record let's say you guys would know the bridge here is mm-hmm. a studio if you put a really big string ensemble on the bridge the room will start to get crunchy it's, right. it's going mm-hmm. to kind of like there is a limit to which it can reverberate and the limit at say abbey road is way higher and right. so um, the physics of it, yeah, sound waves have right. further to travel right. and more space to fill. And so it's it's more it's it tends to be more realistic if you if you put a limiter, which is exactly what it sounds like on the reverb. So you're 
Well, there's more to it than what it just sounds like, but it, it it's letting it get to a certain max volume, and it's also bringing up a lot of the uh, small little details that you wouldn't hear. And like a lot, some people might know compression, yeah. which is you know right now when I'm up against the mic, it kind of are you compressing this at all? It kind of yeah. sounds yeah, a little bit of compression. So you can you can go farther than that with it if you want to. I've yeah, got a, I got and, a hard crunch. Uh, yeah, and so you're you're hearing. There's a lot of quiet things that in person you wouldn't hear about my voice, and that's why my voice through this mic sounds deeper and warmer and blah, blah, blah. And so people on the radio are... And really to, rather sexy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's why people on the radio, they're, they're extremely compressed, and their voices sound like gods, and they're, they're just crazy. And so, um, yeah, that's what rooms do is they kind of... There's a whole lot going on in a, in a room. Reverbs are really complicated, and so mm-hmm. it, it's not only pressing down on the you know the limit of the room the volume limit it's also bringing up some of the quieter things it's kind of decreasing the dynamic range just a tiny bit right if that would make any sense to people i mean in a lot of ways it's 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 not allowing it to to close in on itself right it's it's limiting the amount of reverberation that can happen on that particular aux track that you're sending those instruments so you're saying if i have a loud party I can make my neighbors hate me a lot, but I get to a certain point where they won't ever hate me more than that. Just put a exactly. limiter on. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Yeah, just put a limiter on and they won't hate you. Right. What is the hardest, uh, if there is such a thing, instrument to fake MIDI-wise right now in 2014? <laughs> Trumpet. Brass. Trumpet in particular. Beep, 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 That's why you call me. That's why you call me. You hire a trumpet player to come by and fill out I'll just record at my house, send it to you. Kyle Newmaster is available for work. There you go. Every other month for like one or two days, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I would say every single instrument has a limitation in its sampled version, but trumpet has the most weaknesses. What's going on with trumpet? Why is it? Obviously, we're not talking about a fake trumpet, really. Um, it's not a synthesized trumpet. Well, the best way that I can put it So is, it is a real instrument. It, yeah. When, when, you, when you play a trumpet quietly, let's say if, if anyone listening now were to put on, say, a Miles Davis record, they would realize that when he's playing most of the time, it's a very warm sound. Mm-hmm. And when he gets really loud, it's it bright. gets really bright. But the thing is, samples tend to overdo that. And so instead of being a... It becomes and it gets really stupidly bright and it doesn't yeah. sound very real. There's 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 yep. definitely a limit to a trumpet's brightness, but at the same time, that there's an envelope to that brightness. And so it might start if if you were to slow down uh a, a trumpeter's playing a note, um it would start off really dark and then get brighter. Yeah. And that's that's the part that's really hard to fake. Mm-hmm. about samples would you agree with that i, I think that's absolutely yeah. I, yeah. I don't worry about yeah. it i just play trumpet into the mic yeah, you, you're a trumpet player <laughs> this guy yeah. over here with his pimp hat pimp cane yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah pimp yeah. cane new master um, <laughs> i don't worry about it i got no problems i got 99 problems but that trumpet ain't one, trumpet ain't one. <laughs> um and actually on on the same train of thought um some of the best samples by section tend to be low strings and low brass. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. There's probably a ton probably of reasons. Probably because there's, if based on what you were just saying, I'm imagining now, I'm going off of what you just said as if it's true, which is probably not, knowing you. <laughs> but by what you just said, it sounds like there's a possibility with low strings or low instruments of any kind that there is less difference between that moment of darkness as the instrument's warming up at mm-hmm. like micro time scale mm-hmm. and where it's going. Mm-hmm. If a trumpet's going to end up at like a second high C note, it starts low and it goes a long way up before it's there in that, you know, one one hundredth of a second. But that low string note is going to start way too low and mm-hmm. arrive at only low 
So there's not m- as much there to notice it's not doing correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it question mark. That, that's just my theory. That uh, that's probably right. And that's also, you know, the reason why there's so many scores now that are just so heavily reliant on low strings and low right. brass is because the, because the samples tend to sound good. And so well, your your average composer or even a really good composer will just be like Right. Ooh, that trumpet sample sounds bad. I don't want to use that because I mean, I, a director might say this. That the demo bad. of I, this cue sounds bad, so don't use the thing that sounds bad. Yeah, it's that's a very complicated even in a live language. situation because they're yep. not passing the demo. Yep. Uh, to get to the actual orchestra yep. recording. I mean, that's basically why you get probably fifty percent of TV music is staccato low strings for yeah. the most part. <laughs> <laughs> or it's an bad. score. It's a, you know, yeah. or what's that? Footballs. Or footballs, yeah. <laughs> yeah football. Lots of footballs. Which, yeah. which are, yeah. Huh? The, um, for people that don't know that, it's a it's a visual. If you, you, yeah, you have two whole notes tied together and you have a slur or a tie, then it looks like the top half of a football and all the strings are doing that. So it looks Two like dots a, with an arc going between yeah, them. Yeah, it looks like a bunch of footballs on your page. And yeah. so that's oh. the term. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. read music. Yeah. I would never have got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so... And also the other reason for that is just time. Your well, deadline, your, yeah, yeah, your sure. deadlines yeah. in TV are like we needed this cue two days ago. You know, well, I, yeah. I, that's yeah. what I meant. I didn't mean to say like everybody's lazy in TV <laughs> no, or no, something. No, no, it's <laughs> no. I mean, when you, when you got to write ten minutes of music in three hours, I mean, right. you, know, yeah. you no got to go to what sounds good. I mean, like what I was saying. What when I got here today is, I mean, I spent literally eight hours today just trying to make uh, five minutes of MIDI, uh, you know, emotional orchestra type stuff sound. Oh, strike. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> Radio theater. Wasn't Alex Ruger has stood up and dropped the coaster. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, no, it's a problem. This is what happens when you're a cheap person like me and use tiles for coasters. Is that you get some I actually thought this really was awesome. a really brilliant idea. It is a brilliant idea. I've never seen that before. I think if I sanded them down to be okay, but what you end up with is this really suctiony surface tension under right. a con- like a condensation glass <laughs> and it just goes and right. drops. Anyway, yeah, that's not good. Sorry, 8 hours today. Oh, Emotional no, 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 I just meant like uh, for, for TV, you get guys that have to write like today. I basically spent all day just trying to make the stuff I wrote this week sound good. Like right. five to ten minutes of stuff. It was really emotional type, you know, drama scoring orchestra stuff. Yeah. And it took me all day to make it sound OK. It was like bringing in three or four different sample libraries uh, and combining them and then mixing them and then. It's making yeah, sure it, it just it's a lot of work. So it's a that's lot of work that that a real string ensemble would do oh, in the first yeah. take. You know, however long that piece of music but is you wrote, that's case, how long it would take. In this take. case, I am actually going to record with a live string ensemble. But you still have but to demonstrate have it to demonstrate for it. the filmmaker so that yeah. they understand what it will sound like when you record it live, yeah. even though it will sound better when you record it live. Right, right. And and I think that's that's you know, what I, that's what Alex, Alex said was that. saying is that's, that's why trumpets get axed from score so often because oh, yeah. the samples sound bad so you know, it, filmmakers are not signing off on cues that have sample trumpet in it because they're like i really hate whatever that is and it's the trumpet so you cut it and then you never even get to record it live even though yeah. it sounds great recorded live is that an yeah. argument you ever win if you come to a filmmaker Sometimes with a demo do. where it's like on your word you're like listen I swear this will sound better. Yeah. And I they think, go, you know, okay, I trust you. So I, they just go, two versions. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. I think the, what we do a lot. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. A lot of times if, you know, we get it to the point where they're, they're happy with it, but you might think it would, you might not be able to convince the filmmaker that it's better. So then you do try to record two versions. Right. You, you, you say, Hey, look, I'll version, do a version without, and then on the session, let's record it with the yeah. trumpet just so you can hear it. 
and then we can make the choice after the fact. But trust me, it's going to sound really good. Let's try it that way, but then we'll try it the other way as well. Yeah, and then you do their version first, and if you run yeah. out of time, you have that version. But right, exactly. If you have time, you do. And version. nine out of ten times, the version that you wanted to do originally, it, a filmmaker hears it and says, ah, I get it. And that really does sound much oh, better. Oh, I see. You do know and what you're you, talking about. And you do win. Well, and yeah. you know, I think that you know when you've worked with somebody for years and years i mean i've you get I've been here about and... 11 years now and so i've worked yeah. with some filmmakers you know Multiple numerous times, times. Yeah. and you know uh over time they figure out you actually do know like when you yeah. start and you say something it does end up the way you say it so yeah but i think when you're first working with somebody the the demo is ultra important right interesting so it is yeah that's cool if if you were to always have four really great concert quality players that you keep in your closet chained to the wall and you can just bust them out whenever you want to, you know, you know make a little ISO booth out of your guest room and record your little four piece. What would you, who four would you keep on kind of a legal retainer with the handcuffs in the, in the closet? There? Which like four instruments? Yeah. Like if you could have four live every time for every little project, regardless of how much budget you have, it's like, uh, well, I have the free slave people in the closet that I keep yeah. around. That violin guy hasn't eaten in a month. I would have a guitar player for sure that plays every possible string instrument. Yeah. Oh, no so, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see what somebody you're saying. That can, yeah, that's that can, cheating. That's like I don't know. I'd be chained in closet. Somebody I mean, you, you guys. You're asking for more wishes, guys. We talked about this. La- no, we talked about this last time. But you said Trump is really difficult. Mm-hmm. You play guitar, but for somebody who doesn't play guitar, it's impossible. I mean, oh. if you have one little idea, you got to call somebody to do it. Yeah, actually, actually I would yeah. honestly argue that guitar samples are the worst. Yep, I'm gonna. Re- yeah. Yep. I'm gonna yeah. go back oh, and like particularly as someone not a guitar player, any guitar, is the worst. Like, <laughs> because it requires somebody fa-fa. to actually strum the instrument and, oh, and samples of so I mean, you can, you can trigger yeah. six notes and play them together but it's not the same as somebody taking a pick and strumming the instrument and there's so many little idiosyncrasies that a right. guitar player does there's so much there's a lot of noise in between notes on a guitar mm-hmm. and sliding on the frets and that yep. kind of thing that don't and not only that all the electric samples stuff try to I mean, imitate when, it, I, when i'm talking terrible. about the, the person i have in the closet that's going to play every time i need right i'm talking somebody that has all the pedals oh yeah and, steel, and every slide and guitar and banjo and a couple different types of coming with all their gear you know alex be afraid man yeah all right so that's one yeah i'm assuming you're going to add a violin there just because those yeah. are always the tricky ones and you can get away like what yeah, was saying yeah. earlier. You can get away with a lot if you yeah. have someone on I top. I cello there. if I had to go with a string. I would, yeah, I would. I'd actually go with cello over violin if I can only have one of them. Yeah. Because uh, one violin, why? it sounds like a solo violin no matter what. It'll never sound like a violin. Section. I would go with a viola, actually. Yeah. Um, because so viola instead of cello, and cello, it, cello. Yeah, it's my favorite instrument, number one. And I, I always <laughs> write a lot for viola because I yeah. love it. Um, yeah. But it, it can go high enough to where... If you double a violin line with a mm-hmm. viola, um, with the MIDI violins, it will warm them up a little sure. more, mm-hmm. and so it's a nice trick. And then it can go low enough to where, depending on the cello part, you can you can you know get it in there too. Yeah. And, yeah. You can't go quite low enough though. Yeah, not That's not fine. quite. But the viola is the French yeah. horn of the it string is. section. It actually yeah. is the French yeah. horn. It, it, it's it, the alto voice. It, yeah, they yeah. they actually are doubled a lot. Yeah, a lot right of yeah. Time. A lot of times, if you hear French horns blaring there's also violas playing along with mm-hmm. the french horns mm-hmm. uh it's a it's a pretty common doubling mm-hmm. in fact there's a awesome sample of that on yeah on symphobia. symphobia yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we got a guitar oh, boy. we got a cello slash viola depending on who i'd like Two to have more. a kick-ass french horn player honestly yeah mm-hmm. definitely that, you can do a lot with one. just a french horn oh yeah and french horn it, it and i have my, my technical reasons why i think this is true but um 
I mean, it's, it's an instrument that doubles well with almost every instrument in the orchestra. You can have a French horn here, with strings. You here. can have a French horn with winds. You can have a French horn with the brass section. One of the five instruments in the woodwind quintet, which is a traditional ensemble, is a French horn. Is a French horn. <laughs> Amen. So it can yeah. be a wind instrument. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> and uh, with doubled with violas, you could you could honestly uh. not even hear the French horn, but it just makes the string section sound f- more full. Mm-hmm. What were and your technical reasons? Uh, it's because of the way the instrument is built, because it's conical. It doesn't cut through like a trumpet, so it doesn't call attention to itself if it's being played softly. Mm-hmm. That meaning conical, meaning it, it, it flares over... The bell shape. Gradually flares over yes. the whole course of the instrument. Um, because it has such long piping, it's actually built on the higher end of the harmonic series. Mm-hmm. So like a trumpet and a trombone, it starts on the lowest end of the, the harmonic series. So mm-hmm. the first interval is, a, is an octave, but on a French horn... It's, it's so high up in the harmonic series that it has a more intense sound. Mm-hmm. So it has more emotion automatically when you push the instrument that that intensity of, of those overtones and harmonics is more intense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why people, when they hear the French horn, think it sounds so epic. It's because it has so much in that sound at yeah. once. Yeah. And it's also the, my, my last reason is because I think it's so close to the human voice. Yes. It's... Actually, it, it is the viola of the orchestra in terms of like common doubling practices, mm-hmm. but it's actually more in that regard. It's the cello. I mean, the cello yeah. and the French horn are the two closest to the the human voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I would have thought sax, just because you always hear people on the saxophone emulating laughter and stuff. Wow. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. I guess that's more of an affectation as opposed to yeah. the actual timbre of it. Yeah. The the timbre. If if you any any male's voice, especially mm-hmm. like. If I get right up into the mic here, Hi, and, and if you were to play a cello along with it, you'd notice a lot of the similarities. Same yeah. with a uh, French horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you say that about yourself and you're flattering well, yourself. Me. I would yeah. actually go piccolo. You're, you're more of a piccolo. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't want this to be the venue. I told you that. But. Maybe penny whistle. Penny whistle. How about a slide whistle? Hurdy gurdy. <laughs> I, I get hurdy gurdy a lot. So. <laughs> Um, a lot, actually. People yeah. tell you that you sound like a hurdy. Yeah, a lot. I, I, I do. I sound like a hurdy. <laughs> In that case, <laughs> or a bag staying on that yeah. sort of line of thinking, then and bringing it, honestly, I'm amazed that we brought it back to our original thesis, which is we're talking about the personality of instruments. Right. Um, I didn't think that was going to happen. I had no faith in that happening. Um, which <laughs> instrument has the least breadth of personality? You can do the least with it. In terms of orchestration, bass, oboe, uh, bass, uh, ba- bass, trombone, probably, right? No, no, uh, I, 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 mean, I would disagree well, with that. The least uh, variety of what yeah, it can like, do. Yeah, like I'm thinking of yes, like the dynamic perhaps. range of personality on an I'm instrument. I'm actually oh, going to okay. disagree with that because I, mean, I, I love the bass trombone. The, the, oh, I love bass trombone too. Probably my. The only time that I have recorded with an orchestra, for whatever reason, we had two bass trombones. Hmm instead of any tenor trombones well, they can, yeah, and they can play, they can play way up there. And so yeah. they're, they're very useful in that regard. They can mm-hmm. go really low and they can go just almost as high as a tenor Just don't hire a regular trombone player to play to bass, play bass trombone. trombone. <laughs> if I they don't play, if they don't play, as a trombone player, if yeah, they don't play don't bass, do trombone, like if they right. just do it for the money, they can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, I can do it. Wait, why do they just not know how to play the instrument? Trombone is a very specific skill set. Yeah. To be able to play that low and do it confidently and with volume and it's breath control. Proper sound. It is, and it's you know it's, some people are just built to play that instrument well. It's kind of like okay, I play the trumpet right, and I and I do it well. I play it on a lot a lot of things, but there's certain types of trumpet playing that require a specialty. Like, and like you take somebody playing, like everybody knows the incredible score, right? There's a, yeah, there's a trumpet player in town named Wayne Bergeron. 
He does is, that thing. He does the high note, the super high, you know, screaming trumpet that sails over everything better than just about anybody. Anyway, yeah. And very few people can do that. Most professional players that play on just about everything, like, can't do can't that. Can't swing that. Yeah. In fact, it's, they would tell so, you to call Wayne So Berger if you on. were to call, like, the guy, if you, oh, my buddy plays on, I don't, I'm not going to name a specific person. I'm not thinking of anybody specific, but, oh, my buddy played on this show or that show and this blah, 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 and he plays in, you know, the L.A. Phil. Let's get him to do that scream trumpet Wayne Bergeron Incredibles thing. And you bring him in, it probably isn't going to be able to do it. Right. Just because they play trumpet doesn't mean they're going to be able to do that. I mean, I, I think the, the bass just in general is, is not exactly, you know, the most versatile of the string instruments as far as, you know, what mm-hmm. it can be used for. It's almost a utilitarian instrument. It is of. very you know, much. I got to say, know. though, I think the thing about this question, though, is that like it. It's sort of it's instrument racist. No, I mean, well, I mean yeah, it's, <laughs> it's making us instrument limit. Racism. But then somebody comes out and like does something insane that you've never With thought. Like I've instrument. heard actually bass players. Oh, do, do incredible yeah. things. Like, I, I yeah. remember there was this the bass, of it. Uh, this, I remember when I was at in grad school, this uh, bass concerto got written mm-hmm. for uh, specifically mm-hmm. at the school for a specific person. Right. It was insane what yeah. they did. I mean, they were yeah. playing like violin parts and then going down to the bass and they did all mm-hmm. this crazy yeah. stuff. Yep. And same thing goes with, you know, like I said, I know that bass trombone can do a lot of stuff. I was just trying to think. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I think any instrument can do do quite a, yeah quite a few things oh, actually also, timpani. Huh? okay maybe yeah, timpani yeah but timpani can do some really cool effects you can, <laughs> yes you can uh, yeah. you know put a symbol on top of the timpani there you go and yeah, do a yeah. roll and true, then true, it yeah. sounds really cool or glockenspiel glockenspiel that's a good one the only thing you can really do with it that beyond hit it is change the type of mallet or bow it glockenspiel yeah. is the loud bow pingy it, cool. yeah thing that you remember from elementary school that you hit you know, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. with the piccolo is the other loudest instrument in the orchestra. In fact, Battle of Hoth. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's when, like a metal xylophone sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it rings and it's very high pitched. Yep. It's, it's in the piccolo uh, range. And that 2001 score, actually, that I just did, that was that was Bowen that. Um, yeah. Bowen very cool sound. Yeah. It was, it was in MIDI? That's a really cool sound. No, no, that was a real. You have a glockenspiel? How did no, you record no, that? No, that was at Berkeley. Like, oh, you know okay. all those weird sounds where we prepare piano. Oh, we got to trade weird sounds that we've recorded, by the way. Oh, sample. I made a sample library out of vegetables, too. So I'm, oh, that's yeah. pretty that's awesome. Like I made thumping one out on of pumpkins and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, when we were recording, speaking of my album earlier, just because I want to feel like I can contribute to this part, I was trying to, I had a, I come from, I have been using photoshop at a professional level for like a decade now and Mm -hmm. a lot it's weird i find a lot of the logic that i use in photoshop can be applied to audio engineering this is not performance and certainly not scoring but just audio engineering and thinking in terms of what could you do with that piece of audio right now Mm -hmm. and uh you know once you understand the basics of it and i do at least in terms of audio engineering not playing Mm -hmm. uh you you can start working your way around these interesting sort of Oh, I could pull that off, I think. And on the album, I had an idea that I don't think Andy, who I think just got his degree in engineering from Berkeley or yeah, yeah. Th- knows his shit. Yes, I don't he think does. he ever, ever would have had this idea. He looked at me like I was a goddamn idiot when I floated this idea <laughs> and it ended up working. And he was like, wow, good call. And that happened twice on the album. There's two examples of that. Um, but one of them, and this is insane. Speaking of weird sampling ideas, um, you know, those big box vans that you can put in your window. You, know, mm-hmm. you can buy them at like Lowe's for 10 bucks and it just sits there and it's just this huge sure. thing. But if you talk through it, you get that uh, weird yeah. sort of a sound. The Darth Vader thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I told Andy, that. I was like, here, I want to do a thing real quick. How about I hold that up in front of the microphone for 30 seconds. You get a good noise sample that you can noise remove. Then I sing at least one take through 
through that thing as an effect, like for an interesting doubling thing you could do. That's kind of cool. And he was yeah. like, he was like, that, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull that off. I'm like, hold on. And I set the fan up on a bookshelf so it wasn't moving. It was the exact same level the entire time. 30 seconds. He ends up with a perfect noise sample. And what you end up with is this really cool you sort know, of doubling effect. That's like a Leslie just, speaker. Yeah. With a voice. I just thought of something. What if you did that? If you did that with an instrument? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or like uh, a really cool score. Um, it just basically added. Wait, did, you might want to copyright this. He didn't use it, but it was for Steve. Use it, so. <laughs> it was for Steve. Did he Did he just like revert? Like he, he took the sample Ooh, of just the fan and then use that and, use that, and then he reversed the phase yeah, and then it yeah he just i mean he just that's used, awesome he, he just it got is. he thank you <laughs> photoshop idea boom but <laughs> he just cool. you know he, you listen to it for 30 seconds you get that particular yeah. frequency waveform you just use that for a noise removal which is i think it's just phase cancellation anyway yes, but whatever right. it is uh and then once you record it again like same exact sound but now i'm yelling through it it takes out all that fan sound right. and you end up with just the remainder which is in this case just have always fun fact fun fact same concept uh completely off topic bono records his vocals like that hmm. he doesn't like to be in an isolation booth he Uno, likes to have dos, the <laughs> he likes to have the monitors blaring at him and he sets up a mic oh, wow. Oh, wow. And, and then, then you he, reverse he, the phase of the speakers then yeah and then they reverse it and then all you have is just his vocal track that's insane so he can sit, so he can do it without headphones in that case he does it without headphones and he just does it just like blaring just like yelling like he's yelling real, at his, like he's, yeah. he's singing yeah. in his car yeah Wait, exactly i can almost understand that because there's something about hearing like right now for instance hearing my voice in my headphones yep that is distracting yep. to me yeah. it's like hearing myself twice in yep. a way yep that can be distracting and i would so, probably yeah. hold Bono back because of that also record in a big room then all the time uh, I think it's just in the like in the engineers uh, in the booth. Or, yeah. I was just wow. thinking because his in voice, front of the console. a lot of their music is so kind of spacious. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Space. Yeah. I wonder if he, he's actually recording in a big room. Yeah. I, I, think think nice you know? I think he just sets up like a couple feet behind the engineer. Oh, okay. he just, he just That's goes. crazy. Yeah. That's really cool. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Why did yeah. you record yourself beating on vegetables? Uh, well, I didn't beat on vegetables. <laughs> That's like a real TV question. <laughs> no, I, you're wondering uh, why I've brought you here. It was it was a uh, uh, competition at Berkeley for uh, sample library competition. I didn't win because there what, were some what people was the, there. What was the point? How, was, how would you win? What was the condition? Possible. Create a sample library for contact and hmm. um, out of anything. And so I made a percussion library out of vegetables. And so I just like pretty interesting. Went, what, was your, what was your favorite vegetable? The Ugly fruit? Do you guys know what that is? I, I ugly, do know with what a, an ugly with a with a eye. Yeah. Um, that when you hit on it sounds like an awesome kick. It just has this great yeah. It's oh, it's fun to it. Yeah, it's really great. Um, and then celery when you snapping. break that sounds like I was going to say carrots. Snapping. Great snare. Carrots were you know, boring actually. Celery right. was much snappier. Well, carrots are a very dry more noise. Yeah, just clicks. Yeah, the the celery has this. Kind of well, like yeah, bones. Cool. Celery gets used of. in Foley all the time for that for, exact reason. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, huh. and then also tomatoes. There's there's one sample where I just like squished it with a hammer, yeah. and it, it just gave me this great like. I kind of messed with it a little bit, and I had like this sort of cymbal sound. <laughs> kind of. Did is, you just decide? <laughs> did you just decide? I have an SM57 that I don't mind ruining right now. It was another adventures with 57. Like yeah, yeah. when we were recording Teague's album, we had on. Uh, insidious communist propaganda of steve we had i write good um, songs yes we we had (laughs) um the at the very the very last thing we did in the studio at all was adventures with the 57 which you guys probably saw on the uh vlog about it but um yeah we just like beat on random shit with the 57 Mm -hmm. and um then yeah that's a 57 is a microphone sm57 that is particularly good at kind of picking up most things (laughs) yeah it's it's a good 
just whatever go mic. to mic. Um, yeah, and fun fact: Uncomposed is recorded on fifty eights. Hey, there you yeah. go. Hmm. Don't get those wet with tomato juice. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Now, just to tie this back in and take us out. What would you say the personality of that celery was on Mike? Did you find it to be wanting or cloying? Did you find it very snappy, aggressive, bittersweet? Mm. It was just. Would it be one of your four instruments that you would keep in your? Oh, oh I would keep. Yeah. I'd keep a guitarist, a guy with a cello. I want at least one dude with anything but a glockenspiel, and I also keep a celery there because it, it knows what it did. <laughs> Cool. Uh, that's great. This has been Uncomposed. You can always find more episodes of this and other Friends in Your Head. Wonderful shows at friendsinyourhead.com. Go to the forum. It's a wonderful community of people, and it's growing every day. Sign up. It's awesome. We talk about you, and there's a hidden chat box that you don't know unless you're registered, so you got to get in on that. We're talking about you. Everyone can tell that you are a fraud. Uh, <laughs> go to the store, buy our shirts, give us money. There's a big PayPal button. We're not asking. We're just saying. Holden Hill, design and maintain the website. And until next time, my name is Tig Christie. Alex Ruger. Kyle Newmaster. Gordy Happ. Thank you very much for listening to Uncomposed. Good night. Good night. <laughs>